0: They put a new saddle on me this morning, and they're going <laughs> to try to get it to fit me just right. Music has always played a very important role in helping us be able to worship God. I I was coming back from uh, a place on Friday, got on 64, and before I knew it, I, all I saw was taillights, for as far as I could see. And uh, I thought, this is not good, <laughs> Not, not at this point, <laughs> because if, if it's bad here, it's going to be bad for a while, and sure enough, it was. Um, but you know, the beautiful thing is, I, I just turned my radio on. You know, you, there's some things you just don't need to fight, because you're not going to win that one, and that was one of those. So, so I turned the radio up a little bit, and of all things, you got me just a little bit down? Keith, can you turn that down just a little bit? so I'm not in a bucket. Yeah, there we go. Um the the beautiful thing is what I heard on the radio was um an interview of Mercy Me. They've got a new album out and uh they were playing each of the tracks on that new album and I got to listen to the whole album. <laughs> Stuck in traffic moving about, you know, uh a mile <laughs> every 30 minutes so it was beautiful i i've always enjoyed mercy me and they've been such a blessing in my life i happened to be at youth camp uh the first youth camp i ever went to uh and mercy me was there and uh they did i can only imagine and uh that was the first time they ever performed it live and uh, it was uh, unplugged and with acoustic guitars and it was a beautiful thing and So uh, I cherish that moment. Changing gears for just a minute, we're going to talk about a new life in Christ this morning. And as I was thinking about this message, I, I began to think about what parents do and the role that parents have. And, you know, it's my opinion based on my experience as a parent and also my observation that the hardest task that you ever have in raising your children is teaching them to make good decisions, good choices in life. That's tough. Uh, we've made a lot of our own bad decisions, and we want our children to make much better decisions that we've made, and so we, we try hard, and it is a tough, tough task. Solomon said, teach your children to choose the right path, and when they're older, uh, they will remain upon it. God gave kids' parents, to teach them to make good choices. It is absolutely critical that our children learn to make those good choices because there are a million and one choices out there ahead of them. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? Uh, You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive His approval. You are free to make choices. That's one of the beautiful things about God. He did put some boundaries on us, but he also gave us a lot of freedom. But with that freedom comes responsibility. My mother always said to me, and she said it on many occasions, Son, you need to understand that you marrying Joyce was the best decision you ever made. And uh, I I admit that, and I uh, am am glad that I made that choice. It's a, a beautiful thing. I have been blessed so much by being a part of her life and her being a part of my life. Uh, We've been abundantly blessed. You know and I know that life is full of choices. Every day you make hundreds of decisions. That is why it is so critical in life to learn to make good choices because literally your choices can follow you through life. You know what I mean. They can. They... um, All have some kind of consequence, either regrets or blessings. Um, You get to experience uh, much of what you choose based on consequences that follow those decisions. You have to decide what what you're going to wear every day when you get up. You need to know whether it's cold, whether it's warm, whether it's rainy. You need to know where you're going to be going, what you're going to be doing. That will help determine what you wear when you leave the house. You also have to choose every time you go into a restaurant what you're going to eat from their menu. Every restaurant has a selection of entrees for you to pick from. You will choose who you're going to marry, and hopefully they will choose you. If you choose them, both of you have to make a choice. You can choose what profession that you're going to pursue in life. You can also choose where you want to go to college sometimes what your major is going to be. You get to choose where you're going to live. You get to choose what you're going to drive. There are so many decisions in life that you get to make. Um, You make them every day. No one makes those decisions for you, and life isn't just automatic. You have to learn the art of choosing and then choose wisely. Uh, I have a cell phone just like you do, and every time I take my phone and I go to look at what the world is going to be, um, I, and, and if I'm looking at the news, sometimes when I turn my phone on, these uh, ads start popping up. You know what I'm talking about? Or are, are there are apps that want you to uh, plug into them and read them and then accept them on your phone. And you, you, know, every time you see them, you have to make a decision. Do I ignore it? Do I delete it? Or do I accept it? Pretty much every time I go to Bass Pro and I walk in the door, there's somebody there wanting me to sign up for their uh, store credit card. And they promise me, you know, if you do this, you'll get 10% off your next purchase. Well, life's full of choices. There are big choices. There are a lot of little choices. There are short-term choices. There are eternal choices. I've said this to people now for a lot of years that God has blessed us with 75 plus or minus years on this earth for us to decide where we want to spend eternity. And God gives you two options. He gives you the option of hell, hell and, and the option of heaven. Uh, Disney World is not an option. Um, you will spend eternity somewhere, and that is not an option. Think about that. You've also heard me say that the grave is the end of no man, no woman. Eternity's coming, and you're going to be a part of eternity. Um, In your notes, you see that I put this statement, from the moment that you were conceived in the womb, God destined you to exist in eternity, either with Him or without Him, and that, my friend, is a choice that you must make. Every time I teach a new semester of faith, always have the students that I have in the class write out their testimony. We call it their evangelistic story. It is what their life was like before and after they had an experience with God. And I always enjoy reading those. They're all different. Um, we all come to Christ in different ways, but we, we only come to God in one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, Right? I very much enjoyed reading Miss Joan Bullock's story. And I told her Monday night that I was going to share some of that with you this morning. And she didn't say I couldn't, so I'm going to anyway. (laughs) But um, she talks about about how the church that she was attending at that time was having a revival service, a series of revival meetings, and she wrote that... um, as a teenager, she was going to one of these revival services with her best friend who lived across the street from her family. And this is what she wrote. She said, At the service, I becoming very aware that I had not declared my faith in the Lord. I opened up my dictionary and looked up the word declared. I wanted to see exactly what that word meant. And one of the definitions. Is to state openly a choice. If I declare something, I state openly a choice I made. And so, what she was saying is that I had not openly stated the choice in the Lord. She goes on to write, "My friends and I prayed with each other and decided to go up and declare our allegiance." I love that word. That. That's how we refer to it, to each other, our allegiance to God and our our allegiance to Christ. She said, however, she had not, and she's talking about her friend, she had not asked her parents. So she thought she had to. Uh, So we waited, and as it turned out, her mother uh, told her that she could not join a Southern Baptist church because they were Methodist. Now... When I read that, I stopped and pondered this for just a moment. Because you see, salvation is far more than joining a church. It's far more than joining a denomination. It's far more than even being baptized. And I cannot help, I haven't asked her this question, but I cannot help but wonder if Joan's friend ever became uh, a believer, if she was ever saved. You know, it is terribly tragic for you to be Methodist or Baptist or any other denomination and wind up dying lost. Let that sink in for just a moment. She goes on to write, I decided that I couldn't wait for her, her friend. So I went to the meeting the next night and declared my faith in God and my belief that Jesus was God's son and had been raised from the dead. She was saved. And later, June 14th, 1953. You'll never forget that, will you? It changed your life, didn't it? Makes a big difference when you know the Lord. Well, I took some time on Monday night as I was teaching them just to remind my students that for the Christian, there was a time when you were lost and separated from God and there was also a time when God saved us. Christian, please hear this. You were lost and separated from God. You were. That's what the Bible teaches. And then you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, that means you're still lost and separated from God. You are either on one side of the spiritual fence or you're on the other side. Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, when he said, You were once so far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him, by your evil and Paul was writing to a very worldly group of people, he wrote these words. He said, Don't you know that those wrong, those who habitually live in sin, Will, share, will have no share in the kingdom of God. He said, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, those who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards or abusers and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. He's pretty specific there. Then he goes on in verse 11. He says, there was a time some of you were just like that. I think, in fact, there was a time when we were all like that, lost and separated from God. But he says, now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. I'm ringing. So listen, there was a time when everyone, in everyone's life, when we were right with God, there's a time of spiritual lostness. There's a time of spiritual death. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, said, God has a way to make people right with him without the law. And he has shown us that way which the law and the prophets told us about. In verse 22 he said, God makes people right with himself through their faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for all who believe in Christ because all people are the same. How? Well, verse 23 tells us we are all sinners, we've all sinned, And are not good enough for God's glory and all need to be made right with God by his grace which is a free gift they need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ so how is a person made right with God the short answer to that question is through Christ the long part of that answer or the whole answer is that you're made right with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ to make you right with God, and when you trust and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, in Colossians 2:6, 6, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning, that is exactly what Paul is telling the people that he wrote this letter to. He says, you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. That's his way of saying, you made a really great choice here. But not everybody does that. In John chapter 1 in his gospel he wrote But although the world was made through him, through Christ The world didn't recognize him when he came Even in his own land and among his own people He was not accepted They, They made a bad choice But to all who believed him and accepted him He gave the right to become children of God They are reborn he said This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan. This rebirth comes from God. Very important we understand that. Jesus literally, according to the word of God, left heaven, came down to earth, lived here on this planet for 33 plus years, sinless years, but the people that he created and came to save, well, they did not recognize him. They did not receive him. They did not accept him. You know, we need to understand why sin is very powerful and addictive, so much so that it blinds the eyes and the hearts of people so that they don't know their own creator. Even his own people, the Jewish people, those who knew that he was coming and those who were waiting for him to come, those who should have recognized him, they rejected him. They refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah. Notice verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To accept Jesus is more than just uh, going out to your mailbox and nonchalantly taking the mail out of the box. Though some sort Jesus out like he was junk mail, right? Jesus as Lord and Savior is literally to welcome him into your life, to invite him into your heart just like you would warmly welcome a friend to come and stay with you for a while in your home. The Bible says anyone who accepts Jesus will be adopted into the family of God as his children. Notice he said he gave the right to become children of God. To believe in Jesus' name is to believe in his person, who he is who the Bible is. It is also to believe in his work, what he has done, what he's done for you. Listen, when you accept and trust Jesus for the forgiveness that you need and for the free gift of eternal life, you, you undergo a supernatural birth. That is how and when you enter the family of God. That's when you're made right with God. That's literally when you leave Satan's family and you join into God's family. That's when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. That's when he seals your soul for all eternity. That's when, according to the word of God, you are born again. Now that's churchy words, right? Born again. The world doesn't understand that. But listen to verse 13 again. He says, you are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. Now, I'm going to say something that may make you stop and think, and I hope it does. All Christians are born twice. Amen? Y'all agree? You are obviously born once physically. You come forth from the womb of your mother. But you're also born once spiritually and only once by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as all babies are meant by God to be born once. Can I hear an amen for that? (laughs) I knew you would amen that. So all Christians are born saved only one time. but You must be born by this second spiritual birth for you to have a relationship with God and to get into heaven. That's what scripture teaches. Just joining a church or becoming Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Church of Christ or whatever. That's not going to get you into heaven. You come to me and tell, tell me that you, you want me to baptize you. If I, <clears throat> if I baptize you in that water and you're not already a believer, all you're going to get that day is wet. <laughs> you're not going to come out saved. If you don't go in there saved, you're not going to come out saved. Jesus clearly tells us that to be saved, you have to accept him. You have to make a personal choice, trusting him to make you right with God and be spiritually birthed into the kingdom of God. There's a conversation in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, I assure you, unless you are born again, there's those words, you can never see the kingdom of God. You won't even see it. Let alone get in. And so Nicodemus, one of the wise teachers of Israel, uh, an older man, he said to Jesus, What do you mean? What do you mean? How can an old man like me go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He's trying to think through this. And then Jesus says to him, The truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. The water that he's talking about there is not baptism. That's the amniotic fluid that a child is born in. That's human birth. And then they must be born of the spirit. Notice verse 6. Notice how he follows that statement up. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Listen to me, friends. The world that you and I live in today wants you to believe its lies about who and what Jesus really is. They want you to believe that Jesus was nothing but a good Jewish prophet, or he was a, a great that lived in the past but's now dead and gone. They want you to believe that he's never coming back like he promised to do. They want you to believe that Jesus isn't the only way that God has made available to you for you to be able to get into heaven. They, they want you to believe that Jesus isn't uh, relevant for today and that you don't need him in your life. They, the world wants you to believe that Jesus is not God. But look back with me at what Paul wrote in Colossians 2.6. He says that... as you accepted Christ Jesus as your what? Lord. You must continue to follow him. You know, if you need Jesus to give you life with God in heaven, then doesn't it stand the reason that you are going to need Jesus to help you live your life here on earth? And the answer to that question is absolutely. Absolutely. So, so after a person accepts Jesus, as Lord and Savior, what's next? Think about it. What's next? Well, let me just say it this way. Your Christian life is supposed to continue just the way it began, by faith in Jesus Christ and in his words. When Paul wrote this section of- to the believer in Colossae, he was very much concerned that the false teachers of the world would continue to lie and deceive and Lead the people away from the gospel truth. We, we find evidence of that in, in chapter 2 verse 4 when he says, I am telling you this so that no one will be uh, able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. In other words, you've been doing really good in, in this Christian life, so, so don't be deceived. He goes on in verse 5 to praise them. He said, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I'm very happy because you are living as you should and because, you are, uh, because of your strong faith in Christ. Here's a question for us. How are you and I supposed to discern spiritual truth from worldly lies? How do we do that? Well, I think to answer that, the first thing I would say to you is you have to find a standard of truth. The world we live in tells you that there is no truth. Truth can be whatever you want truth to be. If you don't like this truth, make up your own truth. It tells you there's no such thing as absolute truth. But friends, that is what the Bible is. It is truth. It is the spiritual standard for discerning spiritual truth from worldly lives. If you've gone through my class, I've introduced you to the faith and message, which is a statement of what we as Southern Baptists believe. And uh, there's a statement there about the scriptures that I want to read to you because I want you to understand what we believe about the standard of God, the, the standard of truth. The message says the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore He and will remain to the end of the world. the supreme standard the supreme standard by which all human conduct creed and religious opinion should be tried therefore all scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation that is a powerful powerful statement on the truth of God's word now I'm pretty confident that you and I believe that amen but you know what the world doesn't it doesn't believe that it never has and it never will in the early church just as in our own day it is so critically important for us to have a firm understanding on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ you cannot be a true Christian without accepting and understanding this true knowledge that that Jesus Christ is the incarnate person of God what was his name Emmanuel what does that mean? God with us. Now John McCarthy writes about this by saying yet so many Christians who affirm the deity of Christ live as if he were not the, only, uh, not the one in whom all spiritual suffic- sufficiency resides. Jesus is the one in whom all hidden are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He alone is sufficient. He goes on to say that the basic attack of all false history has been to deny either Christ's deity, his sufficiency to save, and sanctify, uh, sa- sanctify or both. Friends, I, I, I honestly believe that we haven't seen anything yet. I believe that there's a lot more lies coming as we march toward the end of time. Your faith in uh, God's church are definitely in the crosshairs of Satan's world system. We're living in a day when you'd better know what you believe and you better know what you believe. The Apostle Paul understood that and he, he saw what was coming. And so he exhorted us, after having received Christ, accepted Christ, to follow the Lord in at least three very important ways. Let me read again, Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. And then let's look at these three ways. He wrote, So as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted in Him, and built upon Him, and established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The first way that I see that Paul wants us to learn to follow the Lord is by walking in Christ Jesus. He said, As you receive Christ... Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. How many of you would admit this morning that you have habits? Some of you aren't being truthful. (laughs) We all have habits, right? Some are good, and unfortunately some are bad. Some are not so good, but we all have habits. Habits? are things that you do over and over and over again. In the New Testament, the word walk describes the things that we do habitually. Paul instructed us as believers to walk in Christ as a way of life. The word walk here Paul uses, is Paul used a combination of two Greek words that literally mean to walk around. Now when he says walk, he's not talking about You go walk around in circles. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, this is a word that describes a walk of life or a lifestyle. Things that we do for the glory of God over and over and over again. Our spiritual lives grow through the disciplines of our habits and repeated actions. But that doesn't mean that we have to live a dull life. This word is a a verb. That's used in the present text which suggests that the spirit-filled believer uh, walks around with God every day. We all need to learn to do that, right? To walk with God. That certainly helps us to be able to follow him if we're walking with him. He also, as, also need to be rooted and built up in Christ. So as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted in him, and built upon him. South and um, I it qualifies me to say to you that I've seen a whole lot of pecan trees. Now, you're going to say pecan or pecan. I say pecan trees. So, pecan trees, uh, they don't have a really good root system. And that's why I bring this up to you. Their root systems are right under the ground. There's no tap root on a pecan tree. And uh, when I was thinking about that the other day, um, I thought about the Hurricane Michael that blew through Panama City several years ago. We all remember that. Some of us went down and helped after that storm blew through. But as I was thinking about it, I, I remember driving by where my mom and dad raised us, where our old home was at. And I remember that it was shocking to see that every one of the pecan trees that my dad planted when I was a small boy were all laying over on their side. I think there were like 12, 13, 14 trees that we planted, and they were all blown over. Why? Because they have such a poor root system, and the wind is able to blow them over. And You know, those trees were over 50 years old and made a lot of pecans, a lot of pecans. So here's a question for you. How do you know if you have a poor spiritual root system in your life? How do you know? Well, you just know because worry and fear and anxiety and guilt and shame and stress and resentment and bitterness and all kinds of those things just keep popping up in your life. When you see those coming back over and over, if you're a repeat offender of those, then you just know your root system is not a very good root system. Um, You don't have strong, deep, spiritual roots that you need to have. And so that's exactly why the Apostle Paul wants you to have roots that go down deep into God. He wants you to be rooted in His Word, rooted in His love, rooted in hope and faith. Why is that important? Because storms come, don't they? Storms come into your life. You can't avoid those storms. You can't outrun those storms. You're gonna be hit by those storms and you better have strong roots when they come. You say, Brother Randy, how do I develop my spiritual roots so that they're good and strong like they need to be? Well, there's two things you can do. They're simple things, but they're so simple that we overlook them they're simple, but they're absolute necessary things for you to do. Here they are. Number one, you need to spend more time with God. If you're going to have strong spiritual roots, you've got to spend more time with God. You've got to spend more time with God in prayer. You've got to spend more time in God's Word. But there's more. You've also got to spend more time with God's people. See, that, that, that's that been one of the things that has been so weird and So tragic about COVID is it 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 just separates us. But we need to be together with each other in fellowship. But also in serving the Lord in ministry, working side by side, doing the things that God has given us the ability to do and, and the passion to do, we need to be working together for the glory of God. What did Paul write? He said, instead, we will hold to the truth In love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, under his direction. The whole body is fitted together perfectly. Notice this. Don't don't miss this. As each part does its own special work. What special work are you doing? In the context of the church, it's important that you do your special work. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is what? Healthy and growing and full of love. The Apostle Paul also said, I pray that Christ will be more, uh, more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in Him. May your roots go down deep, deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Follow Christ You have to walk with Christ. You have to be rooted in Christ. But you also must be firmly established. You must firmly establish your faith in the Lord. He he says that. He says, so as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted in him, and built upon him, and established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's interesting, and I did a little bit of research this week, not much, but a little bit. To learn, it's interesting to learn when certain institutions and businesses were established. Some of you who were Marines, any Marines here? We don't have a Marine in this room. (laughs) They're on duty. The United States Marine Corps was established November the tenth, seventeen seventy-five. Almost two hundred fifty years ago. The Smithsonian Institute was established August tenth, eighteen forty-six, in Washington D.C. The Boston Red Sox, any Boston Red Sox fan, they're not in the series this year. Uh, me too, brother. I, I, I feel your pain. They were established in 1901, but I I went back and I wanted to know who was the first Major League Baseball team. It might surprise you. It was the Cincinnati Red Stockings. (laughs) That's right. Established in 1869. The Cincinnati Red Stockings. Weird name. Callaway Golf was established in 18, or excuse me, 1982. And Chick-fil-A was established in 1946. How many like Chick-fil-A? May 23rd, Hapsville, Georgia was when and where they were established. Now, all of these organizations that I mentioned uh, are very diverse. They they come from different areas. They difference in nature in And yet they all have one thing in common. You know what that is? I didn't think you would answer that question. So I'm going to answer it for you. There was a moment in time when they came into existence. A time, there was a time when they did not exist and then there was a moment when they were established and now they do exist. In other words, on May 22nd, 1946 Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A did not exist. The next day they did. Every one of you in this room and everyone that lives in this world experienced a physical birth day, right? I, I don't care what your parents have told you, you were born. They might have said you were found next to the river under a rock, but that's not true. You didn't exist at some point in time, but now you do exist. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ was established on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached Christ crucified and resurrected, and 3,000 lost souls uh, gave their heart to Jesus. So if you know your history, your church history, you know there was a time when the church didn't exist. But now it does exist, right? It does. Well, here's another truth for you. All Christians have spiritual birthdays. There was a time when you were not a Christian. And then you accepted Christ, and now you are and forever will be. All Christians have spiritual birthdays. Do you have one? Do you? I do. Uh, Even though I don't remember the exact day, I remember being there. And I remember the moment. I remember what was going on. I know it was in October. I believe it was on a Thursday night when I was just 15. Uh, my home church was having a revival, Emory Williams was a visiting evangelist that came to preach that series of meetings that week. On that particular night, he preached the sermon, That's Not All There Is to Life. His scripture text was John 3.16. And that night, as he spoke, I was terribly convicted as a 15-year-old about the sin that I was living in. And I remember when he gave the invitation, I I stood up. Didn't want to, but I did. I stood up, and I went forward. And I met him at the altar, and and I told him what was going on in my life. And I told him that um, I, I needed God in my life, and I needed to be forgiven And he assured me that Jesus could forgive my sin and make me right with God. And I remember praying with him and then later praying again with some college students. Uh, I prayed a sinner's prayer, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And thus, I had my spiritual birth that night. How about you? When were you established spiritually in the Lord? Do you have a spiritual birthday? You need one. You cannot be firmly established in your faith without one. And we live in a time when you had better know that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's important. I ask you, do you know? Do you have a relationship with him? Why do, you, why do you care about that, Pastor? I care because I believe we're living in a time when your faith is going to be tested. You haven't been tested yet, but your faith is going to be tested. And so I ask you to test your faith this morning. Are you still living the old life, or have you taken a step forward with Christ, and are you living a new life in Christ? Are you living with Jesus in your heart? Are you living without Jesus? It's important that you know the answer to that question. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come this morning. You say, why this morning? Well, the same reason that I stood up that night in that revival service, and I took a step forward, and I went down and I met Emery right down in front of the church, and I told him what my problem was, and he helped me to find the answer that I needed, and that was a relationship with Jesus. You remember I said you can come to Jesus many, many different ways, but you only come to God through one way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you to do that this morning if you haven't done that. You say, why today? Because today may be your birthday. You don't have one, you need one.